Welcome to Becoming Legendary. Uh, this episode, we are speaking with a wild man, a truly wild man, a man who is combining the ideas of bliss and fear, a man who lost a finger to frostbite in Antarctica, and a man who's going back next year to be the first man ever, the first human ever to solo transverse Antarctica. Ashke is a really, really interesting being in that he is blending these truly crazy concepts with a ton of intentionality and thoughtfulness and logic. And I think you are going to enjoy the heck out of this conversation. As a really quick note, this conversation does have uh, both some profanity and talk of death and suicide. So just make sure you are the appropriate audience for this episode. So without further ado, let's get you to becoming legendary. Maximize every opportunity so that you can become you legend and become legendary. What adjustments can you make right now to make yourself one Your percent better? Your only goal is to be the best version of you. Okay, welcome to Becoming Legendary. How are you today? Very well. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, man. We're super, super excited to get this, this connection um, underway. Could could you do me the favor and give a 60 second introduction for the audience on just your, your real quick backstory so we can catch them up to speed? Sure. Yeah. Quick intro. Uh, I'm a Marine Corps veteran. I joined the Marines after struggling with the drugs and alcohol in high school, served six years in the Marines, one tour in Iraq, struggled with PTSD, depression, and severe alcoholism after the war, was on the verge of suicide, thankfully climbed my way out of the abyss built a business and a brand called Fearvana and became an ultra runner and adventurer where I do things like running many, many ultra marathons, climbing mountains in the Himalayas and big expeditions in places like Antarctica, where I lost a finger to frostbite last year and other expeditions on the edge in some of the most hostile places <laughs> on the planet. <laughs> what is about, what is it about hostile places that you're drawn towards? These places reveal to you the very essence of the human soul, because when you're in hostility, whether it, so there's hostility of man's hostility, right? Like war, then there's hostility in nature in nature. When you're in, 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 when nature is hostile, it's not acting out of malice. It has no intent. It simply is. And the isness of that, it really, it symbolizes the duality and the oneness of all seemingly opposite forces that can coexist. And here's what I mean by that in nature, like, for example, when I was in Denali or in Antarctica, you're in this polar storm and out there you have no control, no control, whatever, right? They are horrifically brutal, absolutely savage. And they demand a kind of surrender because when you're out there, you're not competing with nature. You're not conquering nature. So there's this beautiful act of just surrender to what is, but it also paradoxically also demands so much power in you. So there's this force of surrender and control because you control, you have to control your environment to the best you can in order to survive out there. So you, you are simultaneously humbled by this awe-inspiring might, but, but at the same time, you realize how powerful you are simply, simply to be playing in these playgrounds. Mm -hmm. 
And so the hostility of nature reveals to us the oneness of all that is and the oneness of not just like ourselves with nature, with man, with earth, uh, but also oneness with ourselves. And I love playing in these playgrounds because, because they are a mirror to what the human spirit is really capable of. And you can't find what that is unless you go play on the edge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really fun. Um, there's a lot in there. But first I want to address the the playground component, right? When you're when you're in the experience, is it a playground? It's a both kind of talking about the dualities or, or the non-dualism, if you will. It's both a playground and a battleground. So it's a battleground because you are going to war with yourself in the most in extreme environment, right? And again, it's, it's to be very clear, it's not a battleground with the elements. You are not, I, I do not like when people say you conquer the mountain. You do not conquer nature. You do not conquer the mountain. You become one with it in order to be in that, in that area. So on the one hand, it's a battleground because you are at war with yourself and the suffering you inevitably endure by going to these places. And that suffering is one of the very core reasons why I go. So, uh, to, to, so that experience of going to war with yourself is the battleground, but it's also a playground because you, you also absolutely need a sense of humor. You need lightness. You need play to endure the savagery of these environments. So the intensity and play, keep coming back to this point of the dualities, the, the, the intensity and play kind of coexist out there. There are times where I am tapping into intense darkness the, the my own demons and using them as leverage in order to keep moving forward through these moments. There are other times where it's just pure bliss and gratitude and divinity and lightness and play. And you get to see like you, the darkness and light within yourself, both have their place. Both are weapons in this, in, in, in navigating the pain cave in navigating your own suffering as you're doing this. And I have many, many stories I'm happy to share if you'd like in terms of concrete examples of how I apply this from running marathons, uh, like a, when I ran a marathon a day across Liberia for a week to all my other expeditions, you know, how you, it's not just one weapon, you need multiple weapons to navigate that pain cave. And it's, and it, and you, you, you two forces that are seemingly opposite. Like for example, sometimes I go deeper into the pain and I'm literally like calling forth the pain, being with the pain, wanting more pain. Other times I'm doing what I can to escape it. Wow. And so both of those seem like opposites, but they both have their place. Wow. So, so as, as I was reviewing a lot of your material, limiting beliefs started showing up for me everywhere, <laughs> some of your expeditions. So did you formally carry those limiting beliefs? And then how, how did you then overcome some of those limiting beliefs that allow you to expand your hum the human potential that exists into the, some of these excursions? Great question. So I have a big beef with the overemphasis of our... Um, in this sort of self-help world around conquering or overcoming our limiting beliefs, because the more you recognize that you are not defined by your thoughts and your feelings, the less you actually give a shit about your own limiting beliefs. The point is not like, I don't care what I believe. Belief is built mm. in the battlefield. Mm. So it's not about overcoming the limiting belief to then go do the thing. There's a lot of times where I didn't know if I could do the thing. I step into the arena. And then mm. as you're in the arena, you start to discover something about yourself. But the point is to say like, I don't care what I believe because I can disident, and I'm far from perfect at it. We're all human beings, but I've certainly gotten better over the years of disidentifying with my thoughts and my emotions, right? Because we can, we can acknowledge that we are not our thoughts. We're not our emotions. We're not our experiences. Hmm. We are the thinker of our thoughts, the feeler of our feelings, and the experiencer of our experiences. 
So there's a space between what is and who we choose to be outside of what is. Mm -hmm. Meaning like right now, if I'm sitting in this room and somebody comes in here with the gun and I feel fear, I'm not choosing to feel that fear, but I don't have to be defined by that fear. That fear is not who I am, right? If all of us, mm -hmm. and the, the problem is many of us identify with our emotions and our thoughts. We make them real, right? People will say things like, I am depressed. I mm -hmm. have depression. I am sad. And it becomes their self-identity. Instead of saying, my brain is going through a state of depression from time to time, but I am not my brain and my brain is not me, right? So that's why I don't think it matters what your limiting beliefs are. The, the key thing is you don't have to believe in yourself. You just have to believe change is possible because with that belief, then you can have enough courage to step into the arena. And in the arena, you will build belief. Like now I have an incredibly high self-belief because I've done a lot of hard shit and I've gone to war with myself repeatedly and won. And there's many times where I failed, right? Like I didn't succeed at the thing I was doing, but I've pushed myself in the arena enough to start cultivating that confidence. But confidence, Confidence is the result of action, not the fuel for it. The fundamental virtue, the most important virtue is courage. Because in courage, now you can step into the battlefield and you can start building that self-belief that comes from those moments where you confront yourself and find that you have something within yourself to do more, which once, more than what you once thought was possible. That's so good. <laughs> there's, there's a lot to unpack there as well. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the whole bit about courage... Um, is is that something that because I had a big fear of cold water, right? And 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 something that I I I now revisit on the daily. It is part of my daily routine. It's been that way for like a couple of years now. Um, but every time I step into that cold water, I find myself going back and forth with courage. You know, whether or not I have the courage to put my my whole body in this sub submersion of, of freezing cold water. Um, is is there ever a time where, the, where that where that process sort of slows down and it becomes just a um, the courage becomes like a part of you over to over time? I think you get more used to the experience of the fear in order to train in that muscle of courage. But I wouldn't say the fear. I mean, it may or may not go away. But like, I still get scared of all the hard things I do. Mm. I'm terrified of going back to Antarctica. I lost a finger there last mm. time. It is an incredibly unforgiving, beautiful, but unforgiving place. So it's, I think the key is not to expect it to get easier, but just keep training yourself to become stronger, yeah. right? Like cold, getting in cold water sucks. There's, it just sucks. <laughs> so it's not that it's going to necessarily get easier. I mean, you may get more used to it, but like, I still have, I still get nervous if I have a hard training session, even though I might've done that same session. Like if, let's say I'm going out for a four hour tire dragging session, I have done that many, 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 many times, but I still get nervous because I know it's going to suck. So you just have to, you, the, the key is like training yourself in that experience so that the fear you don't identify with it you can transcend it and you've built that muscle of courage and the more you build that muscle the more it becomes stronger to keep stepping into it yeah i appreciate that that that, mm -hmm. that deep, that deep follow-up thank you mm -hmm. absolutely is is nervousness is that the best way to describe the feeling you have like in i can understand hmm. Let's use the tire dragging situation because I think that, that there's a relatively low downside, right? Like it's gonna suck, and and you're 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 aware of that. But is nervousness the appropriate word there? Is there is there some is there another feeling or or inner awareness that that is better, or is nervousness the perfect word? I would say it's a yeah, it's a fear, it's an anxiety sometimes, especially if it's a longer session. So depending on the level, sometimes it's 
you know, sometimes there's nothing. It's just like, all right, we'll just go do it. Uh, but the, and I think that's the, like the, the key is not to worry what shows up or why it shows up is just to deal with it once it does. Like I get scared of, I mean, I'm, I, I, my friends laugh all the time because I'm terrified of dating, right? Like I'm terrified. They'll, they'll, they'll see that I get more nervous sending a girl a message on a dating app than I am of all the crazy, intensely hard shit I do. But the thing is, and it's funny because I do crazy hard shit, but here's just sending a message on a phone and I get like butterflies in my stomach anxiety. But the thing is, I don't care when the thing shows up, like, is it doesn't matter because coming back to my point earlier, I'm not my thoughts, I'm not my feelings. So it, it it's irrelevant whether the fear shows up or whether it doesn't. It, do, it doesn't matter because I just know that the, the, the mission is more important than my fear, right? The mission is more important than the feeling. So whatever the thing is, whatever my brain is going through, I am not that thing. I will be whoever I choose to be in the creation of a new identity in the uh, that I'm building in the pursuit of my mission. Kind of, kind of extrapolating out when you when you apply this experience or or this set of experiences to to others, and I think marathon running is is a pretty good one, right? Because it's well within the human capacity. Uh, trekking Antarctica has not been relatively successful for humans, but marathon running is well within human capacity. So let's use that as our parameter. Do you think? Um, Barring, barring extracurricular health concerns, you think everyone can complete a marathon? Is, is, that within, is that within all humans' ability? Absolutely. Again, barring like severe physical yeah. things, if I'm like paralyzed from weight, yeah, barring all that. And it, it, absolutely. Like the biggest thing that restricts people is their paradigms and constructs around what they believe to be possible. My first race ever was a 50K race. Uh, like some of my family, when they heard that I ran a 24-hour run, they did not think that was possible in ultra running circles. That's relatively normal, mm. you know? Uh, so the point is it's the constructs that shape what we believe to be possible. If I believe to be a marathon, like a marathon for somebody who's let's say never run even like a 5k can feel like in my mind, what a hundred mile might be. Right. So we just have a different relationship to it and the relationship to said event, a marathon or whatever, it shapes how we approach it. But if I believe like a marathon, like, and I don't mean this in an egotistical way, but I can go run a marathon today. And I run a marathon fairly often. I can't even count how many marathons I run because my paradigm, and it wasn't always like this. I used to hate running even an 800 meter run, right? So the paradigm shifted, the construct around what this thing means in my head. It's now, it's like, oh, that's just a normal run. It's no big deal, right? But right. that that evolves as you keep stepping and expanding your zone, wherever that line may be. Yeah. What is the, what is your daily regimen to training what is what is the time commitment at right now like i'm training for a very very big expedition in antarctica next year so i'm putting in about 25 hours a week of work okay uh yeah it's hectic and this is not including like recovery work sure you know doing meditation <laughs> breath work mobility stretching mm. all the other stuff i mean it's like a full-time job training for these expeditions <laughs> I, bet, I would bet <laughs> really is a full-time job yeah so, you, so yeah. you, you talk you talk about spirituality a lot in in, in your book and in, in your writings and just in, just in general I can feel that spiritual um, connection that you have a really deep sort of underlying connection there mm -hmm. um, is is there is there a part of your life that you can attribute to a divine intervention like and and, and if so what what was the part of your life and and, and why there's been many moments in my life that I don't know why. 
I survived them. I mean, for example, when I was in Iraq, my vehicle drove over an active bomb, an active IED that didn't explode. I don't know why. My friend's vehicle drove over an active bomb, his exploded, and he died. And so I don't know what you want to ascribe that to. That's a question that transcends my understanding of the realm of our of, of the human experience on earth and some people have said you know it's because like like god had a better plan for you i have a different take on god like i believe in a version of god i wouldn't be what like i personally don't believe there's a higher power but i have my own version of what i believe god to be um but i don't like that when people sometimes say oh god had a plan for you so it is divine that you got saved then it's always then it's always been like why why did my friend get like right, so what right you know, God said, fuck that guy, you know? So, uh, I don't, again, but I don't know what the answer is to why that is. That's beyond my realm of understanding, but that's one of many situations. I've done a lot of dumb shit in my days before joining the Marines, doing a lot of drugs, a lot of stupid things where I could have died and lost two friends to addiction. I've been on the verge of suicide. I've, I've been almost killed by a falling boulder in the Himalayas and many, many other instances that I don't know why I'm here, but, and I've struggled with that a lot over the years, like around like survivor's guilt and like trying to wrestle with the fact that, I mean, just by being born to good parents in India, I automatically have a million times more opportunities than most people on earth. And I didn't do a damn thing to deserve it. So I don't know those things of why they are, but what I do know is that I have just like the only, and that that has driven me to some dark places before. So now I realize it's a kind of a waste of a question to ask that mm-hmm. instead just ask, what can I do to make this life worthy, you know, mm-hmm. to, to be, to use this life that I've been gifted in service of something better than myself. That's so rad. What is your what is your definition of of what God is? Just to follow up, my yeah, yeah, uh, my version. I believe God is kind of the, it's the it's the thing. It's it's the essence of the human spirit at its finest. It's it's why I cry when I see someone suffering. It's it's our compassion. Mm-hmm. It's the thing inside of us. So you can call it like an energy. Again, I personally, you know, we all have our own version. That's not a right wrong thing. But I personally don't believe there's a sort of higher power you know, controlling our fate, if you will. Mm-hmm. But I think God is the, it's like an inner Buddhahood. It's something within us that allows us to transcend great suffering. Like my, a great example of this is, have you ever seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge? Yeah. yeah. That movie touches my soul. Yeah. Now yeah. in that movie, like he, he single-handedly it's, saved 75 people off a cliff. And again, he had his version of God, but to me, like what he did was impossible. I mean, one man dragging people sometimes as far as a football field. I was in the Marines. You drag a person 10 yards. It's freaking brutal. He saved 75 people, sometimes dragging them as far as a football field in the middle of like firefights Firefights. and lowered them off a cliff. Like that's impossible, but he did it. And that to me is an expression of God, you know, and he did. And when he was doing it after each person he would save, he would say, please, God, help me save one more. He didn't just sit sit there saying, you know, please, God, can I save those people? He said, please, God, help me save one more. Mm -hmm. And tapping into that to transcend Mm -hmm. the the limitations of our own self, you know, our own strength as one mm. mere mortal, that to me is God. That's what God allows us to do is to achieve something so much bigger than ourselves. It really deepens the responsibility you have then as well, right? I mean, it really deepens the the ability for you to act in those certain situations, right? Instead of asking simply for uh, this outside thing, power, energy to assist, you're you're calling from that spirit, that God energy in with that lives within all of us to to help motivate or to 
um, progress throughout the situation, whatever it may be. Absolutely. And you know, one of my, one of my favorite books on this is, uh, Harold Kushner, who wrote a book called when bad things happen to good people, his, his, um, version of God in that is one that I deeply resonate with. And he says something in the, in the book, he says to me, the surest proof of the existence of God is that when people pray for strength, hope, and courage, they find the level of strength, hope, and courage they didn't have before. And the point is to mm. your point is you're tapping into, you're praying for resources within yourself. I'm not saying God, you know, save these people or God, give me a million dollars, whatever the thing is. I'm saying, God, give me the strength to endure the struggle that will, it will take to get X, Y, Z to save people, whatever the thing is. So I'm tapping into resources, you know, and that's why, like, I really resonate with that inner Buddhahood. You're kind of awakening that inner Buddhahood within us. Beautiful. You called out this idea of the luck of being born to good parents in India mm -hmm. and recognizing that the position that you've been born into is offered it is it literally has offered all of the afforded all of the opportunities that are available to you right that is true for Absolutely. every single human on the planet Absolutely. um but i think that's a thing that people really struggle to find the awareness around How, i i imagine that there's a there's a little bit more of an opportunity to see things because of the disparity of wealth um and and the vast disparity of wealth in india that's very apparent and harsh um, but do you know how you found your way to that concept of, of where, where we are born, which has nothing to do with who we are being so much of the path of where we end up? Yeah, it, it I definitely didn't hit me at a younger age. I did not fully appreciate the, the, the amazing life I've been gifted and the great parents I had. I was a piece of shit at 16, just a dumbass. Uh, but, but like over the years, was. yeah, <laughs> like a lot of guilty as charged. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a lot of kids are really stupid. I was up there in terms of, stupidity. uh, so it was definitely one of those. But you know, through like joining the Marines was the first step, and then you like going to war. Forget about what we endured in war, but I met like people in Iraq who they spent decades under hell. You know, I met a guy in Iraq who spent eight years as a prisoner of war in Iran, Iraq, because of the Iran-Iraq war. I can't even imagine the hell that man endured. You know, I've, I've volunteered with, in leper colonies, seen the, you mentioned the extreme poverty in India, I've worked with survivors of sex trafficking, former child soldiers. So when you see all this, like a very, I remember when I did this, I was, so I did this run across Liberia. It was about a marathon a day for a week to help raise funds for this school. And on the first day of the run, these two kids kind of started running beside me and we started talking. And one of the kids had lost his mom in the war and his dad left. He was staying with this other kid in this like tiny little village in Liberia. And, and he won, one wanted to go to medical school. The other wanted to go to vocational training school. The odds of that happening are damn near zero. And the only difference, I remember running and thinking like the only difference between me and that kid was he was born where he was born. And as a result, he's immediately, you know, he he's immediately has a million times less opportunities than I do. So I think it's just over the years of seeing these things and seeing humanity in some very, very dark conditions, you, it gives you perspective on how blessed you are. And then to me, it's like, there's a responsibility to do, to use this life. Like, I'm not saying this construct or this belief system is one that everybody should ascribe to, but for me, I believe I have to earn my right on this planet. And there's some friends of mine who vehemently disagree with me this, and that's okay. I'm not saying it's like right, but my take on it is that I have to earn my, like I've been gifted with a great amount of stuff. And again, I should have died many, many times in my life and I didn't. So, and just by being born where I was born, all these factors that I believe I have to earn my right on this planet. And the things I do are my, 
way, like by pushing the edge, you know, by, by suffering the way that I do by running ultra marathons, by going to Antarctica, I'm not, it's not going to stop the fact that the other, that there's other suffering in the world, you know, now mm -hmm. some, in some ways I tangibly and like literally work to stop that, you know, going to Liberia, building a school in other ways, these other things I do, it's not going to stop the suffering, but what it does give me is access to new treasures that I would not have otherwise. And because I go into these spaces, because I get to open new doors in the human soul, I get access to new insights that allow me to come into the rest of the world and, and, you know, and serve others through those insights. Like I would not be able to do the work that I do. We probably wouldn't be having this conversation. You wouldn't have invited me on here if I hadn't like, hadn't been doing these things that I do to get the, the, the insights that I've gained. And those insights only came to me because I play on the edge. You have to battle the dragon to gain the treasure. And because I've faced so many dragons externally, internally, psychologically, physically, emotionally, spiritually, each time I go into those spaces, I gain a new treasure. And it's my responsibility to keep going into those spaces and then bring that wisdom back in order to serve others in my human family. And that's how I have to earn my life on this planet. And till the day I die, there's more work to be done, right? There's always work to be done. Always work to be done for sure. Yeah. On on the on the subject of of earning, uh, um, can you can you give us a little bit of insight? I want to touch on the marathon a day component because that that just sounds like a really that sounds like an experience that would have some some really nice grind to it, right? D day four, day four, day five probably are, are pretty good grinds. But I also want to get into Antarctica. So you pick where we go first, whatever, whatever sounds ideal. Let's head there. Uh, happy to share. All of it. I'll share one. I mean, yeah. you mentioned day four on that run. There was a really beautiful moment on that that I'll share. And I think there's a lesson <laughs> in that. So I was on day four of the run. And I think it was about 17 miles into the run that day. And my right shin started just aching. I don't know what it was, but it like immediately like took me off my feet. I stopped. I tried to put some like cream on it, massage it. It wasn't going away. And I still had to cover about like 25, 26 miles that day or whatever it was. Um, and so I started, you know, limping for about a mile and a half. I was just kind of limping along and battling not just this physical pain, but the psychological pain of wondering, like, how am I going to finish the next two, three days, you know? And um and then something sort of hit and I started jogging. And then I went into an all out sprint. And the whole time I was saying things to myself, like, remember Neil? Neil's my buddy who died in the war. It should have been you that died, and died out there instead of him. Suck it the fuck up. If you quit now, you deserve a coward's death. And I was looking at people in Liberia. I mean, the country has gone through Ebola virus, uh, brutal civil war, extreme poverty. And I, I, like, I met child soldiers, former child soldiers when I was out there. And I was like, people are suffering all around you. Earn this. Earn this life you know, if you quit now, like you deserve to die. And it was saying this the point is to say, I was saying these very dark things to myself. Mm. And, and, and the lesson here is that when you, because by then I had already done a lot of the work to confront my survivor's guilt. Like when you tap into your demons, into your darkness, which we all have to some capacity, however it shows up, when you access them, you can make them your allies. Like those five miles I ran that day was the fastest five miles I ran the entire trip. The entire trip. Now, the, 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 I'm not saying I did this the entire trip. Like mm -hmm. there were many other times where it was just pure bliss, like gratitude, looking at the trees, like beautiful country, like just being in a very like grateful place, very peaceful place. But the point is that if you don't access your demons, as Carl Jung once said, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. And as he also said, that uh, one does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. Mm. Our demons have power. They are running our lives without our awareness if you don't go there. 
And so it, it, it's doing the work is going there, but then you can ally with them. They're never going to go away. I mean, maybe some you'll, you'll navigate and a new one shows up. That's just the nature of life, but they have their place. And that was a really beautiful example to me of how like I could. And since then, I've, I, you know, I'm constantly playing on those edges where sometimes I access my demons and I use them as fuel. Just like two weeks ago, I did a five-day fast averaging three, uh, three hours of training every single day. And there was a moment in there where I was thinking about Viktor Frankl and the people in the Holocaust and, and who suffered wow. in concentration camp. Wow. And I, I was doing a very hot, like high-intensity interval training session. It was like an hour of just hard, nonstop work after two and a half, three days of no food. And I remember like, it was, again, I went to a very dark place. I don't always go there, but in this place, I was like thinking that like, imagine if you were there and imagine if somebody was going to kill your family, if you quit, are you going to quit? Wow. And I didn't stop for one second on that high intensity, like that entire interval training. Right. So point is to say, again, your, your demons have power, but it's on you to decide whether you use them or not. Uh, I'm so floored right now, brother. <laughs> you talking about this stuff it is so cool. Um, cool does is not the right word that describes it at all. But, <laughs> but <laughs> um, so I'm recently have embarked into a lot of um, a lot of trauma work around my childhood, around around my adoption. Um, so my so my I just discovered my my birth father. Um, I'm 43 now. I've never known him. So there's a lot of lot of stuff that's coming up. A lot of demons, I would say, mm-hmm. and I'm learning to learning to lean into those. And mm-hmm. it's and and it's provided me such a feeling of space mm-hmm. in in inside my heart, like um. But before I started, I started this work about eight weeks ago. And before before that, the, this work started, there was almost a, a, a block in my heart. In other words, when I would take a deep inhale, there was there was a point to where my chest would not expand anymore, mm. and and there was it was a palpable feeling. I could I could I could measure it with 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 how it felt. Mm. And now that I've been on this journey of this constant work, revisiting the inside makings the in, the inner wiring of my heart particularly the the demonic side i can now access a full breath that 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 feels life-giving that feels regenerative that feels spiritual that feels like a gift like i'm giving myself a gift like with these breaths so i'm just kind of mirroring back to you my own experience it's it's at a, at a much it's at a much less um you know extreme way if you will but 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 my god like for the listeners out there there is so much medicine to what akshay is saying even from an extreme professional like you are to to a to a more mundane human who who just experiences those things inside of um from this traumatic work but i just wanted to i had i felt there was a a moment to interject there so i just wanted to 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 talk about that yeah for sure good for you for doing the work it's not thank you yeah thanks brother absolutely robert sapolsky there right is that uh Humans will experience the same amount of tr- stress from an angry email as they will from getting chased by a lion. And that is just a, a reality. So ev- everyone's subjective experience is, yeah. is their subjective yeah. experience. And the pain is the pain and the challenges are equal, no matter what the, what the obstacle Absolutely. is. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. So, so <laughs> on the size of obstacles, right. That, yeah. Let me, let me <laughs> dig into Antarctica a little bit because how did how did the antarctica expedition yeah. come up yeah so i um went in 2012 i did a one month 100 and uh, dragging 190 pound sled for 350 miles across greenland in like minus 40 degrees that was my first real big expedition in, in polar exploration 
And, you know, it kind of fell by the wayside because after that is when I hit my low moments with drinking and navigating, like being on the brink of suicide from, you know, the depression and all that. But coming out of that, and as I was, as I was getting more into all these sports, what I felt, why I fell in love with polar exploration, as paradoxical as this may sound, is that polar exploration offers more suffering than anything else I've, I've, I've experienced in terms of voluntary suffering, right? This is separate from like I've forced into it, like people in mm. war and sex trafficking, like those people forced into it. In terms of mm. the opportunity to voluntarily seek out your suffering, polar exploration is the worst. And hence, in my, my opinion, the best. Because like, mm. and it's actually beautifully summarized by one polar explorer who said, Polar exploration is at once the cleanest and most isolated way of having a bad time, which has been devised. <laughs> and I couldn't agree with you. I couldn't agree with him more. So what draws me to it is because of that, like the physical, the mental, even more so than like climbing mountains, you know, often I get compared to like people climbing mountains and I've done a lot of mountaineering, but it's so much worse. Like it's not as dangerous as mountaineering, but far more suffering. And that's what draws me to it is because, it, you know, the, the suffering offers you an access point to transcendence and that transcendence is an experience of god mm-hmm. like when i'm out there in these places everything in life is amplified to its highest so the like the lows are extremely low the loneliness is extremely lonely but the highs are so high and also like strangely like even though sometimes you're you know out there and yes i was with the team last time but it's still a very lonely venture you feel more connected than you've ever felt like even sitting in a dark room i did a darkness retreat where Mm -hmm. i spent 10 days in darkness alone and i felt more connected at times with humanity with myself with earth with god than i've ever felt before you know so life gets amplified on this edge and that's what drew me to antarctica it is this place where there's no life out there i mean there's only penguins in sort of one corner (laughs) of it but most of antarctica has no life and it is this barren, like unforgiving and yet serene land that like because of that isolation, because of that solitude, you know, in the real silence, do you really start to hear mm-hmm. and you hear the things you don't hear in the world of distraction mm-hmm. and you talking about your experience of, you know, going in for, to your own demons, right? Like that happens because of being still with yourself. And when you're still, you hear those things, you hear the voices within yourself you've never heard before. You hear the voice of God, the hear whatever you want to call it, the universe is divine, right? And so that solitude, that aliveness, that intensity, that opportunity to access new places in the human soul, the, the, the further you go into the pain cave, into the space of suffering, the more you find in terms of what you can discover about the human soul. And that's what drew me to Antarctica. And ultimately, it's also training for what I'm doing next year, which what I'm training is to go back to Antarctica to do 110-day solo, 1,700-mile ski crossing of the entire continent. Once accomplished, it'll be the first ever human-powered crossing of the continent. So wow. last year's expedition, while awesome in its own right, was kind of training for this one. Mm-hmm. And uh, the plan is one year from now, I'll be going back out there to attempt this 110-day solo feat. And like I said, it, 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 it'll, I mean, I'll go into some of the darkest places I've mm-hmm. ever been, but I also know like in this, you know, in this one chunk of time, it becomes a microcosm for the entire human experience because you experience multiple lifetimes of highs, of lows, of everything. And you need all of it, right? Like, contrast is what gives life its flavor you can't have a summit without a valley you can't have pain without pleasure you can't have light Mm. without dark you know you need both those forces to to fully appreciate this grand adventure that is the human experience and i think so many times people are afraid to go into the space of pain and as a result they can't really fully experience joy and so we live our lives numb right like if you're without a summit a valley everything is just a flat line and trust me i've been there too when i came back from iraq i I was numb to feelings that is no way to live 
Like that's why Henry David Thoreau said most men live life live lives of quiet desperation. So you have to go into pain to truly appreciate pleasure and joy. What was the t- go ahead, Patrick? I see you're about to ask something. Go ahead. No, hit it. I, 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 yeah, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> what What was the turning point for you after the after you came back from the war? I, I've, in terms of in terms of overcoming the the the, the PTSD, the, yeah. the 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 alcoholism, the drugs, all that stuff. It was when I hit that moment, you know, there was a point in my life where I was drinking like a bottle of vodka a day. I mean, I'm talking throwing up in the toilet. As soon as I don't throwing up, picking up the bottle again, passing out. As soon as I wake up, going straight to the liquor store to pick up another bottle. And this would go on for five days straight. And um, there was one morning I woke up after this and I was like, I just couldn't take it anymore. And I was seconds away from picking up a knife and slitting my wrists. And the fact that I even thought about taking my own life and came very close to even attempting it was jarring to me. It shocked me that I had entered such a dark space. And so I wouldn't like, you know, that wasn't one aha moment. I had that and everything became sunshine rainbows after that. Like I broke my sobriety a shit ton of times after that. But that was, if I look back at my life, that was the moment that began the climb out of the Mm -hmm. abyss, but it was a hard, rocky, brutal climb out of that darkness, right? Like getting into neuroscience, into psychology, into spirituality, into doing the work, like going within myself, confronting my demons. And that's what led to my, like my, my reframing of my understanding around everything around post-traumatic stress, around suffering. Like, for example, when I came back, you know, I was jumpy with loud noises. I was hypervigilant. I didn't like crowds. I struggled with survivor's guilt. And I was told these were all symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. But as I started researching and doing the work, like, being jumpy with loud noises is not a disorder. It's a normal response to war. I spent seven months in a war zone where loud noises could kill you. Inevitably, my brain was more hypervigilant. Survivor's guilt is not a, a bad emotion. Guilt is not wrong. You know, everybody told me don't feel guilty, and rationally, I get it. You can't control what happens in war. His bomb exploded, mine didn't. I can't control that. I don't know. Bullets fly where they fly. But emotionally, it didn't change the fact that the guilt was still there, and the guilt was not a problem. The guilt is an expression of love. The only reason I felt it is because I loved my brother. Hmm. And so instead of demonizing it, instead of demonizing these experiences and and identifying with them as a disorder or labeling myself as someone who has a disorder, I started to accept the isness of these things, right? And that's the foundation is the awareness. So aware, okay, I'm noticing this feeling, acceptance, so awareness and then acceptance. And in Firavana, that's like the section one is awareness and acceptance, Mm -hmm. right? And then now I can reframe it and realize that the guilt is not the problem. Fear is not the problem. Stress is not the problem. Yes, I had post-traumatic stress, but that does not mean it's a disorder. So as an example, I turned my guilt into something beautiful. For a very, very long time, I had a picture of my friend that I lost in the war up on my wall, and it said, this should have been you. Earn this life. Hmm. And that was that what, what drove me to finish writing my book, hmm. to, to, to sober up. My guilt became my fuel. So guilt and guilt is not bad emotion. There are no bad emotions. There's no bad experiences. Everything is just is. Everything above that is a construct we attach onto it. And when you accept that this is just is what it is, then you can decide, uh, do I want to make, you can decide, do I want to make this something that serves me or empowers me or disempowers me? Now, most of us are not making that choice consciously, right? Because we've been, we've been shaped by the paradigms of the world. Like mm-hmm. I was told, this is a post-traumatic stress disorder until I recognize that's not a paradigm I choose to abide by. And I can create whatever paradigm, whatever construct, whatever belief system I want around said thing, post-traumatic stress, fear, whatever the thing is, the guilt, and then choose what I want to do with it and use it to serve me, to serve my work and to serve me helping others as well. So good. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a really, it's a really, um, 
clear and logical perspective, which mm. uh, I always deeply appreciate logic and clarity. So um, because <laughs> we you. can get lost in a lot of a lot of different a lot of different thought bubbles can can draw you away from those two things. And if we follow yeah. those two things, we we generally find our way to pretty cool things. Um, as you're as you're as you're prepping for next year, um, a, a human first, which is which is pretty fun, right? Eight billion people now on the planet, and the first one to do anything's not whatever it is. It's not easy to be the first one to do anything anymore. So that's a pretty remarkable, a remarkable feat. When you look back on the previous experience, what will you take with you? What knowledge? What insight? What's the thing that you know is going to be the most valuable for for round two? So there's the very practical, like technical skills of what I learned in Antarctica, right? But those are very relevant to only polar exploration. So not honestly, we're delving into. Uh, I can't imagine there's a lot of other people attempting a solo polar expedition. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> might not be as relevant. Uh, <laughs> but, but so on the one hand, there's like the practical technical skills of how to, you know, do all the life on, on in a polar environment. As far as like what, like in a mental and spiritual sense, it was the ability to cultivate um, a certain identity at will when I needed it. So let me give you an example. There was one day we had been going for about nine hours, and uh, and I was we were all hurting a little bit by the end of it, going a lot of uphills and downhills. And we had one more big hill left before getting to camp for that day. And we'd already been out in the field for, I don't know, 10, 11 days, something like that at that point. And, um, and so I was like feeling my legs a little bit, a little tired. I wasn't like looking forward to this hill, you know, but I just knew it had to get done. We get to the break and one of the team members was really struggling. And I'd already been carrying a lot of weight from one of the team members. And so he was really struggling. So I was like, do you want me to carry more weight for you? Do you want me to take some weight for you? He was like, are you sure if you're okay with it? And I was like, yeah, like bring it on. And this weird thing happened. Instead of now feeling like more nervous about the hill, I immediately got excited. So here I was in a moment of fatigue, not really excited about the hill, feeling a bit drained, like, fuck, this sucks. And suddenly I was like, all right, let's fucking go. Like I amped up because now it's like, this is my house, right? This mm. is what I'm made for. It's like, I, I choose to get into this moment because when the things, when the, the thing is as hard as possible, I know that's where the treasure lies, right? Like, this is what I'm here for. So I immediately got into space. And as we were going up this hill, I was talking out loud to myself. I was saying things like, this is my fucking house. This is what you live for. This is what you were born for. Like, it was very psychotic. Uh, in fact, my team, when we got to the top, were like, because they, they were hearing me, they were like, dude, you are out of your mind, but I am glad you're on my team. Literally, that's what one of them Yes, <laughs> that's what I was going to say. <laughs> she goes, you're out of your mind, but I'm glad you're on my team. Yes. So the point is to say, like, I got into the space and I started to call the cage, right? Like, it was, it was my cage. It didn't matter what was around me. It didn't matter what the challenge in front of me. It was my fucking house and I was made for this, right? And I could cultivate that. I could enter that mm. at will, you know? And, and it showed me how strong because you also you know ego another thing that's demonized you need ego mm. ego is not e ego like anything else like guilt like fear even like joy can be bad everything just is it's what you do with it mm. like i need to own my ego to be i'm like the hardest motherfucker alive in order to do the kind of shit that i'm doing right and that's not like talking about anybody else it's, it's just in my mind when i need to i own my ego now there are of course times we have to be careful my ego can be damaging but in this moment, I was really owning that. And it was amazing. We got to the top and I was literally like, I didn't want to get to camp. I was like, my hands were, it was like on PCP or some Coke or something. Like my hands were shaking. I was like, this is awesome. I want to keep going, you know? So, and there were other moments like that. Like there was another day we were, I think on day 14 and we just gotten up to the plateau after we became one, me and my team became one of only 26 people to ski up this 
remote glacier out there in Antarctica. We got to the plateau and the wind started hammering us. Like you can actually see a scar on my face here. This was a mistake I made when I put on my goggles and my face mask and I left a gap and like hurricane force winds kind of marked me. And um, the wind was hitting us. And I kept like, I was like leading in this one particular shift out of the team. And I kept thinking like, oh my God, I'm going too slow. What's going on me? I'm breathing heavier. Like the team's going to think I'm a bitch and all this kind of shit. We got to the, we got to the break for that shift. And the team was like, that was a brutal shift. And the thing it was, that was an objectively hard shift for everybody in my team. But in my mind, this is where ego was the enemy was like, I kept making it about me. They're going to think bad about me. They're mm. going to think I'm a piece of shit. Uh, and I was wasting all this mental energy thinking like, instead of just acknowledging, okay, this is objectively a little bit of a harder shift right now. Let me just accept it and be with it and use my energy to navigate that. But that whole shift was so enlightening to me about how I let my ego, I let my mind completely waste it by thinking all these unnecessary thoughts. It was just a waste of energy. And turns out everybody struggled that shift. You know, it was an objectively hard shift. We also got to elevation. Mm -hmm. So I was breathing harder because of elevation. Mm -hmm. And the whole time I'm like, what's wrong with me? Why am I being a piece of shit? I'm going too slow. How am I going to keep up? And all this stuff, right? All the rabbit hole of thoughts we go yeah. into our head instead of just accepting the isness. So it happens to the best of us to like have those moments. And it keeps teaching me that all right, this is a good lesson. How will you navigate the next time? And I know the next time when I'm out there, there will be hard shifts, some that are objectively harder than others, but I don't have to let that shape my thought process or at least not in a negative way. Do, do your teammates, how do you find these teammates? <laughs> that's that's the, my, <laughs> my, my first question. And, sec and second of all is, do they believe in the isness as much as you? Is that, is that part of their, their psyche? Like that, that everything just is and, and, and it's, it's our, what we can, how we interpret that is, is yeah. how we live our, yeah. Uh, as far as a uh, question one, how I found them. Yeah. So uh, ALE, which is a company called Antarctica Logistics and Expeditions, they were organizing this trip. And so we all sort of signed up and uh, yeah, then you meet and one of them was the trip leader. Next time, obviously I'll be solo. So just me, but that's how you often, like you sign up with the company, with the guide, and then if you meet them. And usually, especially on this, there's a strong vetting process. Like, in fact, I was the least experienced uh, out there. One guy had climbed Everest and multiple, the other, the other women on the team, she had already skied to the South Pole. So they were like, you know, it was awesome. They had a ton of experience as well. Uh, so it was a great team. I love, love the team. Now, as far as like their, I, I don't know, I can't, I can't speak for them. I'm not mm -hmm. sure if they operate from the same level or, or not to say like better or anything. We all have our own thoughts on how we approach things. They were extremely skilled in these, in these worlds. Uh, but we all had, yeah, hard to say how they approached sure. it. Right. And if yeah. I'm not, not really sure. That's fair. <clears throat> yeah. Can you, can we, can we dive back, circle all the way back to, to the book? Can you give us, can you give us the, the grip around the book and let, let us know kind of what, what that piece is and the insight it offers mm. into your world. Sure. The essence of fear nirvana is that fear is not the antithesis of nirvana. Fear is the access point to it. Mm. You know, fear and nirvana are two seemingly contradictory ideas. And through all this life experience, everything I share with you, I realize that they're not contradictory. And the fundamental premise of the book is to combat the demonization of not just fear, but at a meta level, any kind of struggle. You know, there's literally a chapter in the book titled The Gift of Suffering. Because when I, often when I do talks, I'll show people a slide will say fear, stress, anxiety, suffering, adversity, pain, struggle. You could show the slide anywhere in the world. And then I ask people, how many of you think of these as positive words? Nobody raises their hand. And the fundamental essence of what I, what, what I do with Fear of Honor, the book and my work is to help combat the demonization of fear and to help people start embracing it and falling in love with it as something beautiful, not something negative. Because that is the single most important skill to master in life. 
When you master that skill, you get the ultimate thing that which we seek, meaning that why do we do anything we do, right? I get the house, the car, the, the relationship. At the core of it, you know, dig deep with the why is to be happy or call whatever word you want to use, fulfilled, inner peace, bliss, whatever term you want to use, right? Now, when you have a negative relationship to suffering, suffering becomes a barrier to that which we seek. But when you fall in love with suffering, or as I like to say, when you suffer well, suffering becomes part of the adventure and you can actually find bliss even in the pain, which is why it is the single most important skill to master is to be, be able to smile in the face of suffering, to suffer well, to develop a positive relationship to it. Because when you do, it won't matter whether life punches you in the face or whether you're seeking a worthy challenge, like running a marathon, skiing across Antarctica, writing a book, raising a child, whatever it may be, you will be able to smile through life's adversities. And ultimately, then you get the very thing which we all seek. You get joy in the journey, even when it sucks. So what Fearvana is designed to do is help people develop a positive relationship to suffering in order to then turn their suffering into three things, finding, living, and loving what I call your worthy struggle. And your worthy struggle is your path. It does not have to be skiing across Antarctica. That's my journey. That's not. That's a way, not the way, right? So it could be raising a child, playing the guitar, playing like playing basketball, whatever the thing is. That's your worthy struggle. And any worthy struggle will be hard. That's why I call it a worthy struggle is to, and I don't like, it's great to have passion for what you do, but I don't like often when you say follow your passion, it conveys this idea, especially to young kids. Like, you know, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Everything will be sunshine and rainbows and unicorns. And it's not, man. Like I love what I do, but there are days where it's fucking hard and it sucks and I don't want to do it, but you do it. Right. So <laughs> point is to say that like, that's why it's like, that's why I call it your worthy struggle. It's the one worthy of who you are and who you want to be and knowing that it will, you will struggle. But if you don't seek out a worthy struggle, struggle will find you anyway. At any crossroads in life, you're going to suffer. Work this job that I hate or quit and start a business. Be in this relationship, stop and be single. Any crossroads, either path you choose, you will suffer. So the question to ask is, which struggle am I willing to endure? Yeah, I really like that. I do. I do think that there's an awful lot of the population that is paralyzed, paralyzed by fear, right? Of and oftentimes Absolutely. it's just the fear of I need to make the perfect choice in this moment. Yeah. And I have always been just gifted with the experience of make a choice and figure it out from there. I, I exactly. really like make a choice and figure it out, <laughs> and it can lead you into it can lead you into bad places. But uh, yeah. if you if you keep figuring it out, it it works out in the end. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like in war, we always say, you know, it, it's about making that rapid decision. A decision is better than no decision. So, you know, and God knows I've fucked up plenty in my life. So, but to your point, you know, you, you make a decision and you learn along the way, like action is the greatest teacher. The greatest lessons are in the doing, you know, you, yeah. people are going to learn more 100%. in the action than they are listening to me or read my book that can provide a spark, but you're going to learn more when you step into the arena. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Heck Yeah. <laughs> absolutely what was that no i just yeah i agree i agree yeah no it it is it's a really it's a really beautiful thing it's a really fun i think i think you know we've talked you've said duality a lot and i I think it's interesting because in a in a lot of in a lot of the terminology if we were to speak about about um opposite things, which, which in, in many ways is duality, right? But we think of them as dichotomous. And yeah. I think dichotomous and duality are in a lot of ways interchangeable, um, but we don't necessarily think about them as, as interchangeable, but light can't exist without dark, right? They, they're just, they, they must, there must be two sides of the coin for either side to exist. 
Absolutely. Otherwise, we wouldn't have the ability to perceive that they exist. Absolutely. So when when you're when you're looking at, at the, the duality of these experiences, it sounds to me like you're, you're, blending, you're blending both sides. Like you're trying to take both sides and really, and really merge them into the singularity mm-hmm. of the experience. Is that, a, is that an accurate interpretation of, of what, you're, what you're telling us? Yeah, I love the way you put it. And yes, absolutely, the singularity of it. And you know, you have these, like to me, I think enlightenment is the moment when you experience oneness of these dualities. I don't think enlightenment is the destination. I think it's a momentary experience. And like, for example, when I was in a dark room, the brightest white light I've ever seen in my entire life was sitting in a dark room. I was lit like when I was in this darkness retreat, right? And it was pitch dark. You can't see a hand in front of you. And I was literally shielding my eyes like this because it was blindingly white, you know, and you have these moments like that. And that's what I seek. And you seek it by playing on those edges. And it's also about like playing on both edges of a duality to find the unity in them. Meaning that like there in life, there's a series of dualities, right? Life and death, masculine, feminine, light, dark, ego, humility, contentment, discontentment. Like there's all these dualities. I actually constantly have this list of dualities that I'm building as I go through life. And we often demonize one side of the duality, right? Ego is bad stress and recovery, stress mm. is bad, discontentment and contentment, discontentment is bad, fear and nirvana, fear is bad. But that's the problem, right? Is the demonization. It, they're not bad. When you actually play on both sides, you start to see that there is an isness in them. And now mm. you can pull from each sides to find a oneness in, in the experience of each of them. And mm. often like the way I practically apply this in my life is I'm always looking for one duality that's causing me friction and I'll go play in the other side of that duality. So for example, there was a point in my life, I remember once I was out for a run and I saw this sign that said 5K fun run. And I had a visceral disgust, not even a conscious choice, a visceral disgust at the idea of a fun run. That's really stupid. Like, that's not healthy. <laughs> like, it was like, you don't run for fun. You should only suffer. And that's not healthy. Like, this was not a good thing. And I realized that, like, I was bringing suffering in sort of every area of my life, right? Like, I was constantly in. And so I looked at the duality, suffering and play. Again, use whatever term you want, right? Don't get caught up in the semantics of it. But I, I went to the other edge of it. So doing more light things, being more playful, going for runs where I could just enjoy it, not even count how many miles and just smile and laugh, listen to music, you know, and doing light and playful things. And that, like, that allowed me to open new doors because if you stay in what you know, you're only going to get more of what you always mm-hmm. gotten, right? Like mm-hmm. we are all trapped by the limitations of our own constructs and we don't know what we don't know. One way, there's many, there's a few different ways to kind of access, to understand what, what you know you don't know, if that makes sense. But one way is to play on the other edge of that duality. Now you start opening new constructs that weren't available to you had you not gone there. And then by doing that, you start to see that there's other like other realms to kind of play in. And it also, you know, and then you start to see where in the spectrum you lie. Like I'll always be someone, if you look at this particular duality, uh, I will always be someone who leans on suffering, clearly. I mean, that's what I do, right? <laughs> Ultra run and all those kind of things. And I'm fine with that though, but now it's a conscious choice mm. and now I've played in both edges. So now I can also bring more play and lightness into my pursuits, but I've mm. gone there, right? So I'm always playing on that. Like it, I'm always looking for one duality and then choosing that. Like before going into the 10 days of darkness, I was looking at the duality of control and surrender and playing in surrender because I'm a giant control freak. So we all will lean on any duality, any duality. You, we will lean on one side of it, every one of us, right? And if you find it's causing you problems, like look at ego humility. There's some people who are way, way too egotistical. Mm-hmm. They could use some humility. But there's so many people who they feel uncomfortable talking about how awesome they are. Mm-hmm. And as a result, like they don't own their own greatness. 
You have to own your greatness if you want to be great. Okay. You know, so like someone like on that, go play in the edge of ego. And I'm not saying being like an arrogant asshole to everybody you meet, but there's ways you can play play in that realm, right? So every duality, and even now I'm working on a duality as we speak. So I'm always at any point in my life choosing one duality and working on the other edge of that, if that makes sense. Yeah, makes total sense. Yeah, that absolutely yeah. does. We're bumping up against our our time with you. I want to one thank you because this has been mm. this has been really fun. Um, it's been really it's been really insightful. Really, really uh, great opportunity just to be within the passion that you have. Um, Brian, any any last thoughts on your end? I always like to leave with the question. You know me, Patrick. So I'm gonna I'm gonna dive into one more one more quick question. This is this is it, 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 it's neither here nor there, but I'm. I'm interested in this. So your, your words, the way that you write, the way that you speak, all the content that you put out, what you believe in, who you are as a person is super, super, well, it's medicine, right? For a lot of people. It can be if you choose to look at it that way. It is certainly has been for me and it will be a lot for our listeners. I know that too. Um, when was the last time you wrote a loss for words and why? <laughs> and why? Good question. I think when it happens, it's usually in some experience that is so awe-inspiring it, it leaves you humbled uh it leaves you in a, in a, in a on a, and you almost don't want to put words to it because words inherently add a construct onto the experience and mm -hmm. they take away from the pure isness of that experience you know so i've been blessed to have been through many moments of them in the recent years it was or recent months it was like from scuba diving in the galapagos to a polar expedition in iceland to even like when I was out there on my birthday to celebrate my birthday, I did 10 hours of meditation and 10 hours of tire dragging as one does. Uh, <laughs> and, and I was out there in the darkness. Like I brought in my birthday in the midnight after like, and it was, I did it all with no food. And I was like looking at the stars in the sky and it was just, yeah, it was serene. And so I think moments like that allow me to just be purely in the isness of that experience. Thank you. Heck thank yeah. you. Yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> so rad, dude. Wow. <laughs> yeah, thank you both. Yeah. I appreciate, appreciate you, man. Right. Hope to see you around around the community here locally um, in Phoenix, Akshay. And yes, sir. Uh, would love, would love to connect with uh, Patrick. Do you live in Phoenix as well? I'm in Colorado. Oh, check. Okay. Yeah. Got you. But I'll make my way down there. <laughs> would love to see y'all. We go on hikes regularly, Brian. Yeah. Uh, we're cool. going for one tomorrow, yeah. and. Uh, just hanging out so would love to would love to connect in person yeah for sure man pa patrick lives in some some extreme environments he lives in 7500 feet of elevation on top of the colorado monument in glade park colorado um that's where that's where we, that's where we grow a lot of our own herbs um oh, and cool. yeah and it's, he's got a rad life that he's built for himself up there so don't let him downplay yeah just in colorado it's a lot more than that <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful man so good for you Thank you again. Thanks for being you. Thanks for sharing your message, making the world a better place. That's freaking rad. Yeah. Thank you both for having me. Appreciate you. Thanks, Akshay. Much love, brother. Appreciate Much you, man. Love. Much love. Take care. Take care.